0: text um, of this incredible corpus, the uh, prophetic uh, section of God's Word. So Malachi chapter 4, 1 through 6 is the text we've been on this morning. We're going to be focusing on verse 6, as that is what we have not looked at yet. Um, This is God's Word, brothers and sisters. Let me invite you to to stand together with me as we read God's Word. Hear now the word of our King. For behold... The day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. The day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall, and you will tread down the wicked, For they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day, which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and and ordinances, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and smite the land with a curse. Thus, Father, reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so grateful for your word, for this prophetic um, discourse, O oh Lord, that is so practical, Lord. The, the uh, epistles of the Old Testament, Lord, so didactic and yet practical, and so confrontive. And Lord, this morning we are so grateful that that we are privileged to spend time fellowshipping in this uh, last section of the last prophet that you sent, uh, a last writing prophet that you sent in the Old uh, Testament times. Bless this time, O Lord, we pray. Open our eyes. Bless our fellowship this morning. Give me grace to preach with fidelity and clarity. And may your your word alone be that which is preached. And may we feast and be fed upon your word and your word alone. Lord, we lift this up to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. One of the more um, beloved quotes from the Lord of the Rings series comes from the first book, The Fellowship of the Ring. You'll recognize this as soon as I read it, but let me go ahead and read it. Tolkien wrote, The rumors that you have heard are true. uh, Sauron, the Dark Lord, has indeed arisen again and left his hold in Mirkwood and returned to his ancient fastness in the dark tower of Mordor. I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what we have to do with the time that is given us. Tolkien is no doubt referencing two important biblical principles. The first one is is that the world in which we live in is a world of darkness. It's a world of sin and, and misery. Romans chapter, or I'm sorry, Ephesians 6.12, Paul wrote, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. Ephesians um, tells us we are living in a dark world. In Romans uh, 13, This do knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from the sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone. The day is at hand. Brothers and sisters, we're living in darkness. We're living in night. Now, uh, um, something that typically escapes us as God's people, I referenced this last week, is that this darkness, this night, is not just darkness and night to God's people. It's for all men. Believer, unbeliever, Christian, non-Christian alike. Non Christians, just like Christians, lose their jobs, get sick, go through natural disasters, suffer with handicaps, get ill, and die. Paul himself said, No temptation, trial, difficulty. Okay, that that word's broad. It doesn't mean a, a temptation of Satan. No temptation, no trial, and therefore, no difficulty, no bitter providence has overtaken you, but such as is common not to Christians, but you know the text. To man, to all man. And God is faithful in reference to his people. So brothers and sisters, darkness is where we live. And there are times when the darkness becomes more dark. And those are the times where we lose those jobs or our health turns poor. We um, are finding ourselves in the hospital. There are dark times and darker times. But the second thing, therefore, if darkness is a part and parcel of life on this world, then secondly, as Tolkien rightly uh, pointed out, the, the key issue, therefore, is what we do when darkness descends upon us. We're a choice, brothers and sisters. We can suffer under darkness as a pagan, as a non-believer does. And that's as that's exemplified in Job's life, in Job, uh, or Job's wife, Job 2:9. Curse God and die. Now, why would you curse God? What is cursing God? You're blaming God. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, when difficult times come, it's amazing how fast we throw out our our doctrine and our orthodoxy. We very quickly become critics of God and we complain and gripe against God's providential care. God, why? I thought you loved me. Didn't I do enough for you? So we can be like Job's wife. We can choose to respond to the darkness, which is characteristic of all men, characterizing all men. All men go through it. We can respond as the non-believer and criticize God and curse God. Or we can have the childlike faith. As Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as come in. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Brothers and sisters, Or we can have the childlike faith and trust which takes, which understands who God is and submits therefore to the will of God as he works his glorious plan in and through our lives. But in order to do that, it's important that you and I feed our faith. I'll end this the way I'm going to begin it now as I ended last week. It's fair weather for most of us in this room. In the words of Rutherford, in fair weather, mend the sails. It's fair weather. We need to feed our faith, brothers and sisters. And there's a lot in God's word on which to feed your faith. However, Malachi chapter 4, 1 through 6, is one such text designed to feed our faith. Recall verse uh, 18 of chapter 3. This was given, 4, 1 through 6, to enable God's people to distinguish The way of the wicked and the way of the righteous living in dark times. Okay, when you and I go through trial and difficulty, there is a massive distinction between the way the wicked suffer and the way we suffer. The hope that they've got, the hope that we've got. And Malachi 4, 1 through 6 brings out those differences. Some of those differences. We've looked at the first four this morning we're going to look at the 5th and 6th and we'll call it a, a day. Um notice with me the 5th blessing, the the 5th privilege that is ours as God's people living in a state of sin and misery, suffering un, under dark times. The sick, uh the 5th provi- um uh, um uh, privilege is the provision granted to all in Christ. We have a provision The non-believers don't have. Notice with me verse 6. Speaking of Elijah, or John the Baptist, and the coming messianic kingdom of our Lord, he wrote, and he, Elijah, John, will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Now on the surface, this may make black and white sense. He's going to restore parental relationships. But brothers and sisters, this passage is given to a a broad swath of, of interpretation
1: historically
0: there are those who have believed that this is talking about fathers literal fathers and literal children and uh, historically speaking malachi fits that um, before him and during his time during ezekiel's day ezekiel prophesied the siege of jerusalem as a time where the fathers will eat their sons and their sons will eat their fathers talk about the dissolution of the family right Fathers will eat their sons and their sons will eat their fathers. Brothers and sisters, that was in full force in the time of Malachi's day where we already saw from chapter 2 how um, marriages were 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 unequally yoked and divorce was not a big deal. And so brothers and sisters, the chi- uh, uh, children, orphans, were, were trampled under by the wealthy men of their culture and no one had a problem with it. So the context of um, Malachi lends itself to that reading, but there's some problems with that. And one of the problems is is, so that's the reason God raised up John the... the I mean, of all the things that God would raise up John the Baptist 400 years later to do... It would be to restore the relationships between fathers and children. There's not a bigger issue at hand. So it falls flat in some ways when you think of it in that way. Well, then there's those who've said, no, this is not talking about literal fathers and literal children. This is rather talking about the fidelity of past generations and the fidelity of of the future generations to the faith of their fathers. You get that line of thinking from Isaiah chapter 63. Listen to it. Speaking of, from God's perspective, of God's people in Malachi's day. Remember, Isaiah 63 is, is a prophecy of the returning people. This is what we read. For thou art our, this is written from the perspective of God's people in Malachi's day. For thou art our father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not recognize us. In other words, God's people at the time of the return had strayed so far from the faith of Abraham and the faith of Moses, that if someone from Abraham or Moses' day came to their present, they wouldn't recognize them as being Jews. Even though they were children of the living God. Thou art our father. Even though Abraham and our fathers don't, wouldn't know us. Um, a proponent of this view, I, I, you've got William Henderson, I skipped him, I'm sorry. He is a proponent of the first view. A proponent of this view is a Peter Verhoef. He wrote this, turning back is not so much the projected social order, but the covenant relationship as such. When Elijah comes, he will restore the covenant relationship. In this process, he will turn about the hearts of the wicked posterity to the hearts of them with whom God has entered into a covenant at at Horeb. The fathers are of no significance anymore when the children become apostate. That relationship can only be restored by way of the renewal of the covenant. So a second group says, no, this is not talking about father-child as as Hendrickson believes, this is talking about covenant fidelity, the renewal of God's people, devotion and commitment to Christ, to God. And that has a lot going for it. Um, the uh, a positive is, is, is it, it, it says that the problem is much bigger than just simply fathers not getting along with their uh, children. But the question that you might ask is, that we ask, which is critical of this one, is why wait 400 years? Isn't the present generation at odds? Well, why would we wait 400 years? What's so significant about 400 years later, which is when Elijah would actually come? So that lends itself to a third interpretation, and that's my view. And that third one comes from the divine commentary God gave on this passage. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. So God gave a commentary on this this verse. Luke chapter 1, verse 16, speaking of the role John the Baptist would play as it related to the Messianic kingdom of, of Jesus. The angels announced John's birth to Zacharias, said this. And he, verse 16, he, John, Elijah, if you will, will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. Now notice the language. The word for turn back is the word used in the rest of the the Gospels for conversions. Salvation. People repenting of their sin, coming to a saving relationship with, with God. And the role of the Messiah, or of, of John the Baptist, in this Messianic kingdom would be preparatory because he would be used by God to convert people unto repentance from their life of sin. And notice the language there. Sons of Israel. He's talking about children with God the Father. Okay, that's the role that John would play then to demonstrate who John is. Notice what the angel quotes and he describes this would be the consequential work. And either this is referring to the horizontal between fathers and sons or still the vertical between God, the father. There's debate on that one. Um, he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. It is He who will go as a forerunner before me, before G- I'm sorry, uh, before Him, Jesus, and the Spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Quoting our text and the disobedient to the attitude of, of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Keep your eyes on Luke 1.17. If you'll notice, he says, his job will be to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. If you compare that to Malachi 4, that's exactly what Malachi 4.6 says. But Malachi 4, six says more. It says to turn the, to turn the um, hearts of the fathers back to the children and the children's heart back to God. Well, why doesn't he quote that here? It can be argued that he does. The next phrase, and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. So either way that you spice this, Luke 1 is saying the primary ministry of John, of Elijah, would be and will be, from Malachi's perspective, a ministry of restoration, not between the horizontal father with children, but the vertical relationship between God's people and God. We, God's people, would become his sons, and God would become our father. Okay, and the uh, proponent of that view is um, Ian DeGree. He's currently a professor at Westminster East. He wrote this. So Elijah, the archetypal prophet, will come prior to the final day of the Lord to preach repentance. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their sons and sons to their fathers, bringing reconciliation not merely within families, and this is it, but ultimately between God as father and his people as errant sons. Brothers and sisters, that is what this text of Malachi is saying. And if you look at the context back in Malachi, is that not the issue in Malachi? Go back to Malachi chapter 1 verse 6. A son honors his father, a servant his master. Then if I'm a father, where's my honor? That metaphor is already there in play. God is our father and we are his rebellious sons. So Elijah is going to come, and he, in 400 years, part of the messianic regency of Christ, the messianic kingdom, in-breaking of God's kingdom. um, Elijah, John, would have this preparatory ministry of calling God's people to turn from their sin to God, back to their father, to be converted from their sins unto God. And, brothers and sisters, that is the fifth benefit, privilege that you and I have as God's people living in dark times. Unlike non-believers, we have an identity. What's your identity, brothers and sisters, to today? What is it? When you go through hard times, what is the... Um, I'm sorry, but, uh, let me back up. When you go through difficult times, how do you go through them? What's on your mind when you go through those? I remember when I was a senior in high school... We, I played, fo- I played uh, football, and our team was pegged early on to be the state champ. We were massively big at the time, the whole bit. We were, we were the team uh, to beat. Well, it couldn't have been a more frustrating year. Our first game, we, we, we creamed a team that should have, they were much bigger than us, actually. They should have beat us. We creamed them. So everyone's thinking, man, this is great. And from there, it went downhill. Each team, we won the next three or four games, but it just got worse and worse and worse. We weren't, we weren't geling. it wasn't working, and then we lost, and so our head coach was a counselor, so he had the ability to pull us out of class. And so he, he pulled me out of class one day. I didn't have to go to England. I don't know what the class was. And I spent my entire class period with him drilling me, what should we do? What do you think we need to do? What is wrong with our team, Greg? Talk to me. And so I gave him my, my thoughts. Coach, I think at times you're, you're too lax. You got to be a little bit more. More, I mean, there's there's people goofing off during practice. I think when we goof off, we should run, and I think that we should do more of this and more of that. So I gave him, you know, fifty minutes worth of my mind as an eighteen year old, um, and and then he let me go go. Well, that week in practice, he did exactly what I said. And you know what my mind was when he was. I'm mean, guys. If, if you've been in sports, you know preseason. The coaches treat you like you're, you're just nothing. You, they scream at the you, they yell at you, you make one mistake, take off, take laps. But once the season starts, you're now their buddies and things have gotten good because you're now gelling in the you know, whole bit. Well, we're in mid-season and he's treating us like it's pre-season. But you know what? I had told the coach to do this. So when he's yelling at us, I wasn't grumbling like the rest of the people. You know what I was doing? My identity was... I'm a counselor to the coach. <laughs> I'm part of the coaching staff here, man. You know, he needs me on the field. So, so I'm there running through these things. I'm not smiling, but in my heart, I'm smiling. This is great. You know, take another lap. Yeah, this is great. Guys, it did. we are at dark times. The whole team is grumbling, complaining. You know, when you get far away from the coaches, that's when they start going, what's wrong with this guy, man? We woke up on the wrong side of the bed, having a problem with his marriage. What's going on with this guy, you know? Brothers and sisters, I'm there going, this is great, having a ball. Why? My identity. Brothers and sisters, if you go through dark times, and you go through dark times not with the identity that you are precious sons and daughters of God Most High, you will complain, and you will gripe, and you will wonder, what are you doing, God? Because you'll put yourself in over God, and you'll start judging God based on what He does. You'll judge God by His providence. And you'll start saying, oh my, not realizing you are the precious children of God. Listen to the promises of God, Galatians 4. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, that's your identity. We are children. He is Daddy. He's our Father, and He will never let us go. Therefore, you are no longer a slave. That's not our identity. We're not orphans. We're not slaves. We are sons of the living God. And because we're sons of the living God, we have God's perspective on all of life. And the first thing we understand is a priori in Christ is God is thrilled with us. God's not doing these things because He is punishing us, because He's angry at us, because He got up on the wrong side of the bed, because we just made Him mad this past week. We're going through difficulty and bitterness. I don't know why. Ultimately, I do not know why. But I know God. I know the God who's ordaining it, and that God's a good God, and He loves me. Brothers and sisters, that's a gift He's given you and me in the darkness of this world. A gift that you and I so quickly jettison. So quickly say, throw it out. This morning in my, in my quiet time, I was reading, a com- I'm, I'm studying Esther, so I was reading um, chapter 4, the commentary on chapter 4 of Esther. And one of the things that the commentator said is, it's so amazing how fast Orthodox Christians throw out their faith when difficult times come. You see it in Mordecai, you see it in, in Esther. They throw their faith out during difficult times. Family of God, if you understand who you are, you've got a gift that the non-believer could never have, and that is the gift of identity. You are a child of God. and As a child of God, guess what you get? Matthew chapter 7. Or what man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he, or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. Think horizontally. What parent does those things? They don't. They give good gifts to their kids. How much more shall your father who's in heaven give what is good to those who ask of him? Remember years ago, I used, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't look it up. This is off of the cuff. Years ago, I, I read that quote. I don't know what this text was I was preached on, but that quote by that non-believer who was criticizing God for how he made the world. Remember that? you know, he could have made it more beautiful. If I was the, the one making the world, I could have made it more beautiful. Do you remember that? The way he wrote it just makes you angry. What an arrogant guy. And then the commentary that I was quoting from said, and yet, brothers and sisters, we do the same thing when we criticize not, not how God made the world, but how he's governing the world. Amazing. We hear some arrogant person say, I could have done a better job than God. When it came to how he created the world. And yet, we in our arrogance will say, I could have done a better job than God in handling Aver's death. I could have done a better job than God in handling this last car crash. I could have done a better job than God in handling how I lost my job or the fact that I lost my job. Brothers and sisters, what's your identity? You are a child of the living God. Unlike the non believer, you love God. He's your master, your savior, your hero. Your Lord, your friend, your Father. So when trials and difficulties come, let us not jettison that incredible gift, fifth blessing, fifth privilege, but let's cling on to it, hold on to it, because that's what enables us to go through it all. We go through it knowing this is by the hands of a good God who loves me. Boy, that makes all the difference in the world. It made the difference in David's life application Psalm 23 remember what David wrote even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I fear no evil how, how do people who have a father in heaven our identity is children of the living God how do people in that mindset face death did you notice what he said you know the verse even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death you know for the non-believer death is a horrible portal it's once for all it ushers them into hell to punishment. I mean, we could go on and on and on. But for the, for the believer, do you know what death is? How does David define it? A shadow. A shadow. The shadow of death. You've heard this perhaps Barnhouse, Donald Barnhouse, when his wife died when he had young kids. His wife died young, and, and they had young kids, and on the way home from the funeral, they're on a one-lane highway, or, you know, two-lane highway, one lane on both directions, and this large semi was coming towards them, and his children in the back, and they're sobbing, and they're sad because mommy's dead, and, and they're driving home, and, and then this semi comes and, 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 and wakes them up. If You've been on the highway, one-on-one, you know, head-on-head, head, you know, highway where the huge semi goes by, you know what happens to your car. It shakes, there's this massive noise, it scares you, it scares, it scares you a lot. Your car swerves because of the backdraft, and then you're back on. You feel like at one point, man, this car could just fall apart. That's how hard that, that was. Well, that happened to them. And the children went, ah! And so for one moment, they were not crying out of grief. They were, oh what, dad, ah! Scared. And this dad said, Donald, uh, Barnhouse said, children, which would you rather be hit by, that semi or its shadow? And they all said, it's shadow. He it goes, your mother was hit by the shadow of death. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, but when this perishable will have put on the, the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on the immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory of death. Where is your victory O death? Where is your sting? For the Christian brother and sister, we, get, we, get, we, we leave this world in the shadow of death. We die once, but we don't die twice. We die once and we are ushered into the presence of God. So in essence, it's the shadow. Brothers and sisters, when you go through difficult and dark times, it's the shadow. That's all that you're suffering under. You You are a child of the living God who has a future and a hope, which we just read about in Malachi. or we just looked at, Malachi 2, 3, we have this incredible hope, four, five, brothers and sisters, that we are going to spend eternity with God. That is where God's working. That's the end game. That's what God has in mind at all times. So when you and I go through the valley of the shadow of of death, it is but a shadow. We need not fear. We need not be frightened. Why? Because your Father in heaven has you in His hands. Fifth, privilege that god has given us what's the distinction what's the difference between the wicked and the believer living under difficult times fifthly brothers and sisters we have the glorious incredible privilege as i've written here to have the provision of sonship the provision that god is our father and we are his sons and thus we go through the trials and difficulties of this life as his very own children sixthly and lastly Notice with me brothers and sisters as seen in the caution or the and assurance that God gives us in his word. Notice verse 6b and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest i come and smite the land with a with a curse. Now brothers and sisters ultimately this has in mind what we read in verse 1 which we already talked about the coming the day is coming when the arrogant and every evil doer will be chaffed, the day is coming when he will set them ablaze so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. That's a, a prophecy of Second Peter chapter 3 and how this world's going to be burnt up with fire. And he's, he ends this book, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. The ultimate picture behind that is the burning of this world. Now, so it's serious. This is a serious statement. However, for the believer, this actually is a positive thing. And I'm going to explain to you that in one moment. However, before I get there, I want to share with you some of the background, some of the interpretive background. This verse caused massive problems for the rabbis. This is the last statement of the last Old Testament prophet, writing prophet. John's the last Old Testament prophet. But the last writing Old Testament prophet, Malachi, he ends with a curse. And because of that, they felt that was so wrong They refused to read this verse in the synagogue. So when they got to Malachi, they'd stop at verse 6a, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. That's it. They wouldn't read this, because they they, they felt it was wrong to end the, the Old Testament prophetic corpus with a curse. And that continued on. Years later, the Masoretes... 400 A.D. to, to uh, 900 A.D. This is what we read from Boyce. The Masoretes, who have given us most of the copies of the Hebrew Old Testament we have, and who added the vowel points to the Hebrew text, were so bothered by this, that the last word of the Old Testament prophetic work is a curse, that they repeated the next to the last verse of Malachi after the last verse. So they would they would repeat verse um, uh, 5, or actually, verse 6, and repeat after the curse. So it would read, he smite the land with a curse, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children. Um, Similarly, the Septuagint reverses the last two verses uh, completely. So the Old Testament ends not with the curse, but with a blessing. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, they were not in the situation where you and I, they didn't have the vantage point that you and I have. We have Scripture, the rest of the New Testament, we have the rest of Scripture to interpret this passage. And when we do that, we understand this is a colloquialism. This is not to be taken strictly legal. I'm sorry, literal. It is true. The the, the earth will be cursed. Chapter 4, verse 1, he just said it. However, this is a colloquialism. And what a grand colloquialism it is. Let me show it to you with three verses. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Would you turn there? 1 Corinthians 16. So this is Paul's epistle to the Corinthians. Notice how he ends this entire epistle. 16 chapters. The chapter where he talks about love, you know, the love chapter and marriage, chapter 7. I mean, some wonderful, wonderful high points in this book. This is how he ends it. The greeting is in my own hand. Verse uh, 21. Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Maranatha. Maranatha means literally take warning. If anyone does not love the Lord, let him go to hell. Take warning. Take warning. And you go, man, that that is really negative. It is. But it's a colloquialism. It's the exact same way Malachi ends Malachi. Malachi with a curse and it's, it's written it's, it's design, it's purpose is to have the, the reader take warning, take, be aware guys don't allow what you're reading to, to lull you to sleep don't be like James describes as one who looks at his reflection in the mirror and walks away and forgets it no, take heed, open your ears listen, take in the word of God in other words what Paul's saying here is this beware what you have just read or heard, it's truth. And therefore, mo- most certainly will come to pass just as it's written. Accordingly, heed the message. Heed the warning. Turn from self to God and live. That's how he ends First Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, that's the exact same thing going on with the signs of the time. I've taught you this so many times, you're going to go, yeah, 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 okay. But I'm going to say it again. Signs of the time. What is the purpose of the signs of the time? They are curses. They are, right? Signs of the time proclaim that that this world is cursed. They are curses. Whether they be wars, rumors of war, disease, natural disasters, tragedies, and and the like. But what's what's their message? What's the message of this curse? Listen to Luke chapter 13. Now on the same occasion there were some present who reported to him about the Galilean whose blood... The the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. What a dark event in, in the history of God's people. They're worshiping God and they all get executed. People came in with swords and hacked them up. And Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you shall likewise perish. That's the same way Paul ended Corinthians. That's the same way Malachi ends. Unless you repent. Implied in this statement is this incredible statement of there's two ways uh, to respond uh, to this. If you receive it, you're blessed. If you don't, you'll be cursed. Okay? Um, We see it positively. Mark chapter 4, 8 through 9. It's a very common thing on the lips of Jesus Christ. But as much of a curse as Malachi, even though you don't hear that that, language, listen to it. As the parables of the four soils, commonly Christ uh, says this, uh, frequently, and other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. And Jesus was saying, he who has ears to ear, let him hear. Now that's the positive side. If you can hear this, respond, be encouraged, respond to this, live in light of it. But if you don't have ears to hear, what do we know about uh, parables? Matthew teaches us. They're written to damn those who cannot hear. They're written to teach those who can hear. So when he says let those who hear let those who have ears hear, that's that is an implicit damnation, a curse to those who cannot hear. So when you come back to Malachi with that New Testament commentary on this form of expression, we understand what he's saying here. This is a glorious warning to the believer, a glorious encouragement to the believer and a strong rebuke to the non-believer. Remember, chapter 3.16, of all the, the, the six different exhortations that Malachi gives, six different uh, things that he teaches God's people, about the worship, and you know, you have a cold heart, and it's affecting your worship, it's affecting the way you, you respond to the word, all of the different uh, pericopes. Notice in, in 3.16, we have, we have a, a record that there were people who responded positively. 16, chapter 3. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, then the Lord gave attention and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and esteem his name. So there were many who responded. Well to those responding people the message is heed heed to suffer like a child of God. Discern the way of the wicked. Discern the way of the righteous. Stop living the way you're tempted to live in your flesh, being angry and frustrated and, 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 and tempted to say, Boy, I wish I was like those wicked people over there. I wish I had their life. I wish I had their, lo- their their easy life. Just like Asaph, Malachi closes and says, No, brothers and sisters, you've got ears to hear. Do you understand that? So hear this. Take this to heart. Take it and meditate upon it and let it change the way you suffer and the way you view the world in which you live. But to the non-believer, it's a curse. It is a foretaste that they're not understanding this and they're not taking it to heart. Is a foretaste of the hell that awaits them if they should not repent. So brothers and sisters, this last privilege is in the caution or for the non-believer, but the assurance for the believer that that God gives us in his word. We have ears to hear. So you know what's going to happen? We will respond in time. What an incredible privilege. You're going through through, through dark times. Guess what God's given you? Something you can hear. You've got ears to hear this. So you and I, though we're, we're his children, he didn't leave us as if we're orphans. He gave us his word that by God's spirit, we can read it and understand. Do you understand the privilege that you've got going through trial and difficulty? Non-believers can only guess. You and I need not guess. We've got the word of God in our hands, which instructs us to why the difficulties come upon this world and why we're going through what we're going through. Do you understand the incredible blessing that you've got in this word incredible sixth blessing that is ours and pastoral as i close this up pastoral this affects the way that you and i minister to one another pastor when you and i go to the hospital room of a christian struggling in pain when you and i um, hear strong words against god by one who, who professes faith in Jesus Christ because of the bitterness of the life in which they're um, living. When a Christian brother or sister sounds more like Job 3 through 38 than Job 1 through, through 2. You know what, brothers and sisters? They will hear God's word. They will. So we don't have to be junior Holy Spirit. We can go there and we can weep with those who weep and keep our mouths shut. We can go there and climb into bed if it's appropriate and, and cuddle them. Your, your child, if it's your your spouse, if it's your girl, it's your it's a friend, you know, a female friend. I, guys, the, you can minister. You don't need to answer the questions. God's going to do that. That's Philippians three, verse what is it, fifteen. God, when you and I don't understand, God's working by His Spirit with His Word to make things clear. So, brothers and sisters, our call in the midst of other people struggling under difficulties of, of life is not the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's up to God. Our ministry is the ministry of weeping with those who weep. Or in the words of our uh, pastoral class in seminary, the ministry of presence. Going there and just keeping your mouth shut and just weeping with them and holding them and um, um, bearing their burdens holding lifting them up allowing god to mold and shape them in in uh, during his time Not only would come a time if in six months or whatever they're still saying why would god do this there's a place to answer that but brothers and sisters when 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 the time's on think of it this way ladies help your husbands and us single guys or the single men in this congregation you're in transition. Is that the time for your, for your husband to say, you know, theologically speaking, you should not have said, ugh, the way you did. I mean, give me a break. And you say, not now, honey. Talk to me later how I groaned. You know, <laughs> now just let me groan on your shoulder, right? That's not the time. Why, why do we have the confidence for that? Because, brothers and sisters, God's people will hear his voice. He has given us ears to hear. He's given us his word. And his Holy Spirit works by and with that word. So we can, pastorally speaking, trust the Lord to work by and with his word in the lives of God's people. That being said, I close with these statements. It's fair weather, brothers and sisters. Feed your faith. Please don't be as James describes people who read these things and walk away and having been unchanged, but meditate upon these things, feed your faith, and prepare yourself to serve the Lord as his sons and daughters in a dark and dying world in which we live. Let's pray. Father, what a delight and a joy it has been to look at this prophetic corpus, but Lord, to look at Malachi and this incredible book describing um, your words to a people whose heart has grown cold. Who's struggling with, with with trust and love and service in your name? Lord, thank you for the incredible message you've given us here. And then, Lord, to this description of what of, of how we're different from non-believers, even though we suffer the same exact events. Lord, we've got the difference is we've got one who walks with us. As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had that fourth one. We have that, that fourth one walking with us at all times. And Lord, therefore, by your grace, give us the grace this day to be a people who would feed their faith, who, Lord, would uh, have our faith so bolstered and so, so nourished by the truths and promises of your word and your character, that, Lord, to go through the trial, the, the shadow of the valley of death, would be just that, but a shadow. And that we, your people, yes, in pain, yes, hurting, yes, struggling, would nevertheless say with Job 1-2, through two, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, through all this, may we not sin, but may we exalt and glorify your name. But Lord, for, for the brothers and sisters who may, who may not, for us, for us, when we, when we fail, oh God, would you, would you be so kind as to impress upon us the knowledge, the truth, the, what we've learned from this, your, your word and throughout. That, Lord, indeed, we are not based upon our our performance with you. We don't relate to you on our performance. And therefore, Lord, may we go through the valley of the shadow of death, not fearing that this is payback, but that, Lord, we would be able to delight in you. Lord, bless, encourage, feed us when we doubt. Grow us in your grace. Bolster us and encourage us. We pray in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.